What's up, everybody? So my name is Mark Essick. I'm actually campus pastor at the Allen Park campus. But it's good to be with you here online and everybody in person, especially if this is your first time here at South Point. Man, really glad that you are here. Um, and if you are someone, maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, maybe you have even like doubts or questions or concerns or just thoughts about, you know, Jesus, God, religion, church, the Bible kind of stuff, I'm glad that you were here. Thanks for being here, seriously. Especially during this season, I think you picked a great time because um, part of this series is kind of twofold what we're going to do. Uh, with Christmas is this. So if you are a believer, then we want to give you further reason, help you, further evidence to support your faith. But also, if you're not, we want to give you maybe even proof or just uh, evidence for you to consider. When it comes to this Christmas thing, what is it? What does it mean? What's the truth about Christmas? And when you talk about truth, right, how do you know what is true? How do you know when something is true? So we thought, well, the, one of the best ways to find out, just ask, right? So if we just ask you a question, you'll tell us what's true, apparently. So we asked you, what do you think the best Christmas song is? And apparently, that's the best Christmas song. 50 of them, right there. The problem, I think, because I, I can't, the problem, I think, is, yeah, it's not there. You guys aren't right. That's the problem. Because Grandma Got Ran Over by Christmas is not on this list right here. And that is obviously the greatest Christmas song ever, because it's the most fun one ever. Or Batman Smells, and that's not theirs. So, Here's the problem with asking people a question. You don't always get the true answers, right? Like, how do you know what's true? I mean, we're joking somewhat, but how do you know what's true? That's what we're going to be talking about this series. And I want to give you a disclaimer, parents, right now, especially for today, giving you kind of a disclaimer coming up. We are talking about the truth of Christmas. So that means we're going to be talking about the truth of Christmas. So if you have young kids in here with you, they may be asking you some questions at the end of this. So you may want to consider letting them enjoy our kids' ministry. You may want to take them there right now, because in a few minutes we'll be talking about the truth of Christmas, so I'm just letting you know that now so that you are forewarned, all right? Truth of Christmas, but before we jump into the truth of Christmas, I want to introduce you to something, right? It's our Christmas God So Loved Downriver Christmas offering, and so a God So Loved Downriver he gave, right? And so we give back to him to make sure other people know how much he loves them, and so this year... It's going towards three things, and I want to encourage you, maybe if you've never given before, maybe it's a great time to start. If you're a regular, maybe even consider giving a, 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 a more generous gift than you normally do, because it's like the greatest season of the year, right? A generous season where you're saying thanks for the greatest gift, the gift of salvation. But if you're new or new to South Point, listen, we don't want anything from you, not asking you to give anything. We do all of this for you. We really mean that. So, um, but here's the three things that these, this offering is going to go towards. Number one, it's just going towards the weekly ministry and spaces that we have to meet in and to worship. And we can't do this without you. And so thank you for your generosity already. So far this year, 140 people have given their life to Christ and been baptized. And we still have about three more weeks left, right? So keep inviting because there's still time in 2019. So one, it's to keep ministry going week in, week in, uh, and all the ministries going. Two, it's to create, continue to have great welcoming environments, especially for our next-gen kids and students, but for us adults as well. So at Allen Park campus, we need to upgrade or renovate some of our kids' space, especially for soundproofing kind of stuff. It's loud. And so kids are having a hard time, so we want to make sure we upgrade that for them. And then um, in the gym, we got a few last things that we need to do. Last year, those of you that gave for the Christmas offering want to say thanks, because the gym floor, I'm remember that? We were able to redo it, and it's amazing, so thanks for that. Um, here at Trenton, 
couple of things that we're going to do for kids is, one, we want to make sure we have a better room, multi-sensory room for our special needs kids here at Trenton. And then also we have some tech issues in the youth auditorium that we want to take care of. And then to finish the uh, Trenton lobby renovation here in Allen Park, our auditorium needs an upgrade on some of the walls. So those are the things that is going towards. The last one, number three, is our care ministry. Don't know if you know this or not. We celebrate it throughout the year. But South Point, so far this year, we've given uh, to families and individuals for, like, utilities to stop eviction, I mean, uh, shutoff notices, rent, help with rent to stop, to stop eviction notices, and various other just physical needs that people have throughout the year. And we want to continue to do that in 2020. So beginning tomorrow online, Monday through next weekend, December 14th and 15th, everything that comes in will be going towards those things. So I want to consider, ask you to consider being putting Jesus on the top of your Christmas list this year, your gift list this year. So it begins Monday, goes till next weekend. So now I'm going to jump back into the truth about Christmas. So right off the bat, when did you learn the truth about Christmas? That's what you think of, right? When did you learn the truth about Christmas? I didn't know. I get, honestly, I didn't remember this. So when I'm like, I had to call my mom. Literally, I'm like, hey, mom, did I believe, like, Santa? Like, did, did, did we do the whole thing? I don't remember. I literally did not. And so she was telling me, oh, Mark, you were so into it. Yes, you loved it. We did the whole thing. We did pictures with Santa. We did letters. You did cookies and milk. You did the whole thing, and you loved it. And I was like, well, when did I stop? And she was like, well, it just kind of happened. I didn't tell you. You just kind of figured it out, apparently. When you ask kids, they tell about Santa's real, right? Why? Well, because I saw Santa. I sat on his lap, had a conversation with him. I wrote him a letter. I put it in the mail, just like Uncle Bill, right? You know, we, we gave him cookies and milk, and in the morning, guess what happened? They were half gone. Santa's real. And it seems kind of harmless, right? I mean, it's just fun. It's the season. And so, of course, we just kind of tell him these things. And so, but then maybe as, like, Christians, you start to wonder, like, are we in a line somewhere, maybe worrying about telling the truth? Well, listen, I just want you to... I grew up believing it all, right? My mom and dad doing the whole thing, or at least my mom doing the whole thing. And I think I turned out somewhat okay. My Christmases were just fine. And I don't think all adults are malicious liars out to ruin the world. So I don't think that right now. I became a parent, and my wife and I, we decided for us that, you know, we're just not going to tell the stories about Santa. We just kind of want to focus on Jesus and the meaning of Christmas. And so we just didn't do the Santa thing. We didn't do the pictures with them. We didn't do the cookies and the milk. They didn't give gifts from Santa, things like that. We didn't deny it, so we just didn't do it. We didn't talk about it. We didn't say it was real or anything like that. We just said Jesus, talked about him, and we did our own family things. Here's what I'm going at. It's not like, hey, we're not kind of tell you what you should or should not do. It's not really about Santa. That's not the concern. The concern is this. Do your kids think Jesus is real? I mean, do they, do they know that Jesus is real? Because possibly, you know, the nativity and this big star and all these angels and these wise guys coming from wherever and the shepherds and all these animals. I mean, is it, is it just like Santa's workshop in the North Pole? You know, is it, is it fantasy? Not fact? Is it like, you know, mythology kind of thing? Not historical? Do they know that? Or does it kind of just get lumped in? Well, he's just like a cool supernatural character like Santa. That's the concern. Because, you know, Santa was based off a real kind of historical person, right? Like this guy that we don't know a whole lot about. Actually, we don't really know much about at all. This Christian leader back in the third, fourth century. 
And hundreds of years after his, St. Nicholas, right? So hundreds of years after his death, we begin to see things written about him. And that's when we, some of those things, like he did maybe some miracles and this habit of secret gift giving start to be told and spread around. And only a couple of hundred years ago, actually, did he become this plump elf Santa Claus, right? That's flying all over the world with reindeers. But think about it. Is, is that what happened with Jesus? I mean, he's this historical figure that started off kind of cool, great, big stories about him. But then, like, the whole, you know, virgin birth, God thing, maybe that was added later. That's legend, fiction, tales that were begun to, you know, be spun about this Jesus guy. And so now we have this whole holiday built around this kind of fictional character, this supernatural character. Is that what's happened? I mean, does Jesus have any kind of real impact on our kids' lives, on our lives today? Or do we think he's kind of like Santa? That's what we're going to do this series is investigate. What does the evidence tell us? What does the evidence point to when it comes to all these Christmas stories, these this Christmas testimony that we see in Scripture? Because you start asking, and it's a good thing to ask, are these words you know the scripture is that reliable i mean can i trust them they were written so long ago do i even know what's true about christmas that's what matters and so this series we're going to give some evidences to help you consider so that maybe by the end you may come to the same verdict that we've come to and here it is because jesus is real christmas has real meaning because jesus is real christmas has real meaning Listen, Christmas, like Jesus said, he came to save us from our sin, to bring hope, joy, peace, and love. And that's what Christmas reminds us of. But if Jesus isn't that, if he's just a baby, then Christmas is meaningless. I mean, it's, it's, it's empty. There's nothing to it. It's just a holiday tradition. But if that little baby in that nativity, if he really is God, then that's a game changer, isn't it? That makes us, can't ignore it. And it's definitely worth celebrating. So let's dig in. Number one, let's look at the eyewitness testimony from the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? So what was the Christmas story originally? And this is interesting. I'm going to tell you the Christmas story and see if this sounds familiar, right? So I'm just going to kind of verbalize the Christmas story. And I bet you're like, oh, shake your head. Yep, that's the Christmas story. Let's just see if we're all on the same page. So it starts out with, G I mean, Joseph and Mary, right? So you got Joseph and really preggers Mary, right? So Joseph and Mary, super big baby, about to pop. She's got to take this journey to uh, Bethlehem, right, where their ancestors lived for the census. So now they're heading out, and what do they get on? It's Shrek and the donkey, right? So they get on their donkey, their trusted steed. They're heading out to Bethlehem to be counted in the census. They get there, and Mary is about to pop. Dude, Jesus is coming out. It's happening. So they go to this inn, this hotel, and this cruel, malicious, evil jerk of a human innkeeper comes out and says, hey, sorry about your luck, but I ain't got no room for you, prego go somewhere else. And so they have to go to the cave, to a stable with animals and poop and nasty stuff. And then the savior of the world, little bitty baby Jesus is born in a stable and he's placed into a feeding trough. And then the shepherds come up, right? Then there's shepherds that come and hang out and they're on one side and then these wise guys or wise men from some other place, they come and they're on the other side of the stable, right? So now you've got good symmetry. And then finally for the finale, you get the drum line and a little drummer boy comes pa-rum-pa-pum-pumming, right? Boom, there you got your Christmas story, right? I mean, that's, our, that's the Christmas story, right? 
The interesting thing, the crazy thing, is none of that's in there, except for Joseph and Mary and Bethlehem and the census. Did you know that? Let's look at, the, let's look at it. Luke, here's what he says. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Sorry, no mention of Eddie Murphy and the donkey in there, right? He's just not there. Don't know how they got there technically. And there's no mention of how, like, how far along she is. First trimester, second trimester, it doesn't say. While they were there, where? Where's there? They're in Bethlehem. There's no mention of an inn. There's no mention of a Holiday Inn Express. And this is Bethlehem. Like, this is like a podunk hole-in-the-wall town. They don't have a Motel 6. There's no commercial lodging in a place like that. So there's no mention of it. We don't know. And we don't know how long they were there. It doesn't say that it was that night. I mean, don't you think, don't we all know the story? She got there, and that very night, boom, Jesus comes. It doesn't say that. She could have been there weeks, months. We don't know. The time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Now, sometimes you word that there's no room in the end for them. That's the New International Version, and it translates it most accurately, the word guest room, because here's the deal. Like I said, there's no Motel 6 in a little place like that. There's no commercial lodging. They would have stayed at a relative or a friend's. And the deal is this. Like, you know, you get, somebody comes to your house or maybe you had the family in for a holiday, and you've got a certain amount of bedrooms with beds in them, and then at some point, all your guest rooms are booked, right? So where do people stay? The couch, the front room, on the front porch, wherever you can put them, it doesn't matter. All my guest rooms are booked, but you can stay somewhere. That's what most likely would have happened because hospitality was a big deal. There's no way a friend or relative is going to say, sorry, pregnant lady, leave. No room for you. They would have had room for them, but they would have had no guest room, so they put them in the family room or main room. And plus, most homes in first century A.D., especially in small towns like this, would have had an extra room for their animals because they brought the animals inside at night. So they would have stayed inside at night. Guess what? Maybe that's where they stayed, in the home where the animal room was. A new definition for, you know, meaning for animal room, right? But anyways, that's maybe where they stayed, but obviously that's where they would have gotten a feeding trough for the animals, place some nice fresh hay in it for the baby. That's most likely what would have happened, right? But that doesn't match all the commercialized of the stories that maybe we grew up with. And what, what about those wise men, those wise guys? Where did they come from? How many were there? There was three, right? Well, it doesn't say how many. Could have been two, ten, we don't know. But they came that night because they're wise men, duh, and they know when Jesus was going to be born. Nope. They actually came later, probably even two years later. Really messes up on our nativity scenes, doesn't it? Like lopsided, with the shepherds over here, and who's over there? Nobody. It's just empty. It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, here's the point. Not to, like, bah humbug your Christmas or anything, but what's true? I mean, maybe what you think is true isn't true. Maybe what you've thought all your life isn't, I mean, whoa, that's not really what's in there. And today in this world, don't we live in a world where you, what do you, who can you trust? What news source can you trust? You don't want to be bamboozled or swindled by some false narrative or some opinion. You want facts. What are they? It's hard to come by truth, isn't it? So what's the truth about Christmas? And why does it matter? 
You see, there's lots of common misconceptions about this story, but also just about how it was given to us, right? So like Jesus, maybe he's that historical person that maybe lived, but the legends were told about him over time. So the virgin birth and all those miracles and everything that he claimed to be God was added in hundreds of years later by these other church leaders who want to consolidate power, right? Many of us have heard that. Maybe that's what you believe. What does the evidence tell us? That's what you need to ask. The evidence begins to suggest that it was written... It was actually written in the same generation where Jesus died. So people who witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus would have still been alive when this was written. That would change that, wouldn't that? Because there's not enough time for legends and lore to, to folklore to be built up to these stories about Jesus. The original Christmas story was actually written very quickly after Jesus was born, possibly. That would change that, wouldn't that? Because then all of a sudden you can't say Jesus was just a historical figure or it was added in later. The Gospel of Luke, for example, he was a doctor, so Dr. Luke, which is kind of fun to say. And Dr. Luke was an associate of Paul, and so he writes this narrative, this eyewitness, well, this eyewitness testimony about people who saw this, and he wrote it down in an orderly fashion. Secular historians actually call him a first-rate historian for his work. Here's how he started out. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the world. Luke didn't, wasn't the eyewitness of the birth. Luke literally interviewed Mary and many of the other people, all the people that he interviewed to write down these accounts of what happened. So with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that's fun to say, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Hey, listen, you've been told all these things. I want to let you know if they're true or not. Because I went and researched it and like, did all the evidence. Like, whoa, I don't know if this is real or not. Here's my findings. Did you know that's what he was doing? And listen. Don't just take him at his word. Listen, there's so many critics. People have been trying to put Luke down for a long time because Luke gives so many details, cities, names of cities and towns and people and their titles and all kinds of little details that people have said, that's not true. We don't have evidence to support any, a lot of those things. Even the city of Nazareth, you know that for a long time, people criticized Luke and said, you're just making that up because Nazareth did not exist in the time of Jesus. And guess what? Archaeologists found Nazareth existed in the time of Jesus. Every time Luke's been questioned, guess who's proved right? Luke and his information that he's placed in there. He wrote a sequel, right? Volume 2. It's called Acts. Uh, the Acts of the Apostles, the, early, the account of the early church and all the missionaries telling people about Jesus. And that, he ends the second volume of his work, right? His second book in A.D. 62. We know that Jesus was crucified around A.D. 30. So if his second book was written, the end of it was AD 62, that gives you about what, like 30 years. So the, the first book would have been written before that. So we're talking within a 30-year window somewhere it was written. And the Gospel of Mark was most likely written before Luke. That's what the evidence tells us, points us. It's that these were written very quickly after the accounts where they happened. So it's not like St. Nicholas at all. So when people tell you that it's a smokescreen, it's not true. That's not what the evidence tells us. Another gospel writer, John, was in the same boat. Listen, he says it. In a, John always says things in weird ways. I'm just being honest. He says, the man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he t he's talking about himself, okay? He, he knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. Simple translation, I saw it, I wrote it, okay? That's what he just said. Like, 
I, was a, I saw it, and I wrote it down. Why'd you have to say it like that? I don't know, but he did, okay? It's cool to read. He said it. This is eyewitness testimony. And people have questioned John about all kinds of things. Details that he wrote about, one of the biggest ones for a long time was the pool of Bethesda. People said, because John, he's known to exaggerate, they say. And so John exaggerated about the pool of Bethesda with these five porticos, which were like little porches with columns. And that, that never existed, John. Guess what archaeologists just dug within the last 10 years, I believe? They found the pool of Bethesda 40 feet underground. Guess how many porticos it had? Five. Think about this. If it was written later, hundreds of years later, how would those people know those facts? How would they know that information? They couldn't have been added in later. later. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Maybe, just maybe, it's trustworthy. That's what seems like the evidence suggests. And if you were going to write it later, you would think if you want people to believe your narrative that you're going to write, you would make your central figures pretty powerful and important and, and good. But the apostles are awful, often like doofuses. They're like, oh, Jesus has to tell them ten times and they still don't get it. And they fail Jesus at the end, right? They, all, they deny him, one of them, right? They're not like heroic figures. And the, eye, the first eyewitnesses of this resurrection thing were women, according to the narrative. And again, don't, in that day and time, a woman's testimony was not, you couldn't use it in the court. So if you're going to make up a story that everyone is going to have to believe, you would never do that in that time period. Like, it just doesn't make sense that someone hundreds of years later added it. Or they did a really bad job if they would have. Maybe it's just like Peter said in 2 Peter 1. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were what? What's it say? Eyewitnesses. Hey, listen, man, I, I know it doesn't sound coolest, but that's what happened. I saw it, I wrote it down. Man, I wish I could have made them sound cooler and better, but that's just what happened. There are eyewitnesses that just wrote it down. And people will often say, I get it. They're all eyewitnesses, but they often contradict each other. And so, of course, they can't all be true because they contradict one another. But those, I'm telling you, all of them have been answered, and they're not actually contradictions. Let me give you a real simple illustration. Parents, you totally understand this. Let's say you have three kids, and all the cookies in the kitchen are gone. And you're investigating. I want to know what happened to them cookies. And all three of your kids come up to you one by one, and they say, hey, Mom. Here's what happened. And they tell you exactly, word for word, exactly what happened. All three of your kids come up to you at different times, and they tell you word for word what happened. What do you believe? You bunch of liars. <laughs> That's exactly what you're going to believe. I know you're lying. There's no way you would all tell them. And you would be right. Of course. They're horrible liars because they're kids, and they're making this up. But if all three of them come to you at independent times, and they tell you the same story but with different details... Dude, they're good liars. That's what you believe. No, see, but no, then you would believe their story. Let me think about police do the same thing. So it's actually evidence that proves that these guys probably are more reliable because if they copied one another, then they're not telling you what happened. They're just copying one another. But they tell us the same story from their different perspectives, which is exactly what makes sense. So it's not evidence against, it's actually evidence for. Some people say that we don't have the originals, right? We have copies of copies and there's lots of changes and, and that, so we don't know what's in the original. That's just a smokescreen. Once again, that's not what the evidence suggests. The New Testament itself is the most attested ancient literature document in the world. 
Like you take the 10 other, like most famous, whatever historical documents from that time period, add them all together, we don't have as much evidence for them as we do for the New Testament. Thousands of manuscripts, early manuscripts, where scholars can compare them, put together, and to 99% certainty, they know what we have. We have the original. That's what they say. Like that's what the evidence suggests. And some of you are like, well, what about that 1%? Well, you can go look at the discrepancies. You can go look at them yourself. They're nothing. They're like grammatical little things that mean nothing with doctrine. That's what we know. So the evidence suggests that what you have in front of you is reliable and trustworthy. Like it's actually worth reading and believing. Because where, if, we, if, it's, if it's confirmed in all the places that it can be confirmed, what do you reasonably assume about the rest? That it can be trusted. And some of the things that haven't been, we can't confirm. It's a reasonable trustworthy document, word, that you have. I want to show you a real quick, uh, well, a, 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 a clip from a film, God's Not Dead 2. So in this scene or in this movie, there's a teacher who uh, was falsely accused of teaching Jesus in her classroom, and so now they're taken to the court so they can fire her, and they bring in this expert witness. His name is, in real life, and in the movie, his name is J. Warner Wallace, and he's uh, like a forensic or cold case detective, homicide detective in real life, and so he's like this expert witness in the movie. Watch It's a movie, okay? I get it. It's just a movie. It didn't really happen in real life. But the facts. I mean, it's, it's facts. It's not fable. It's not fantasy. It's biography. So if you have questions, you have doubts, go, go searching. Go, go do some research. Here's a couple of books that might help you in that. Matter of fact, Jay Warner Wallace, that guy, he wrote a book. It's called Cold Case Christianity. Go check it out. Get it. Read it. I, atheist turned believer because of the facts. Another one about Christmas in particular is A Case for Christmas by Lee Strobel. He's an investigative journalist uh, that was an atheist trying to disprove the resurrection, and he came faced with the facts, and now he's a believer. We actually based some of this series off of that one, The Case for Christmas. They're facts. It's information. But here's the deal. Facts don't tell you the meaning, right? Facts don't tell you why. Facts don't get to the heart, but it's good to know so that you know the truth about it. What's the meaning? Because if this little baby, baby Jesus, you know, a lot of people revere him as a, an esteemed prophet in a lot of world religions, or a wise guru, a philosopher, revolutionary teaching, a moral example. But if that's all he is, then it doesn't matter. Even at the facts, it's still, he's not, it's nothing, it's still meaningless, an empty Christmas. What does the angel tell Joseph about the baby that Mary is about to have? Let's look. It says, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because his name means his people. He will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. From the beginning, he claimed to be God in flesh, the son of God. What does the evidence point to? The evidence seems to be stacked in favor of pointing that that is his true identity. That's what we're going to continue talking about in this series. But what does that mean? If he is, then that means he deserves our worship and our obedience. 
That means Christmas isn't, I mean, we think about a holly jolly festive season, Hallmark, you know, hot cocoa and marshmallows and lovey-dovey. It's actually a serious holiday. It's a life or death thing. It's heaven and hell. It's just an eternal kind of thing. It's not just this sentimental thing. There's real meaning because the verdict is that Jesus, because Jesus is real, Christmas has real meaning. It's not just a holiday tradition. There's real meaning behind it because he's the son of God. And next week, we're going to continue with the evidence, digging up the truth, some archaeological stuff. And elementary kids are going to be singing on the stage, so make sure you come back, but also invite some friends. People don't know what they don't know, right? And people don't even know that they need maybe what you know. The only way that they might come or even know or want to come is if you strike up a conversation and friendly and be hospitable and say, hey, why don't you come with me? Be an inviter. It could change a world. It could change a life. Be an inviter. Be a greeter. Be hospitable. Be welcoming and encouraging. So be praying for people. Be praying for them by name. Be praying for opportunities this week and over the next coming weeks. And then invite. And be praying for this place to be full, to be packed, full of people so they can meet the real Jesus, right? Because it's not just facts, it's also experience. And listen, you don't have to have a holly jolly Christmas to make sure you have gifts and, and, and all the food and the trimmings. The real meaning and experience of Christmas is this song that we're about to sing. It's love came down. Like the real Christmas is Jesus came, like God came in flesh because he loved you so much. God so loved you, God so loved Down River, God so loved the world that he came. He came, and yes, he came as a baby, and he gave you all of this evidence to say he was a virgin, and that can't be explained, and all this supernatural stuff, and then he dies on a cross to show you, to demonstrate to you, and he gives us all of this stuff that, yes, we can logically believe it, but you don't experience it until you place your trust in Jesus. Do you need a Savior? Because he came to do what you can't do, to take away your sin to fix the gap between you and God, to bring peace between you and God. I think we all want it, but maybe we're trying the wrong way. Maybe try Jesus. So during this song, we'll give you an opportunity to find out more about him, take some next steps. We'll have people right up front that you can talk to, that can pray with you online. Make sure you reach out to us so we can reach out with you and let you know some next steps. If you have water, you can be baptized today, you can give your life to Christ, say yes to Jesus and experience the true meaning of Christmas.